0: Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Welcome to today's episode of Fraudology. I am so excited to have someone who I'm a really big fan of, Vineet Gerwal. And she is someone I've known in fraud for the last several years and really admire her a lot. And she's honestly one of my phone of friends whenever there's a really weird fraud trend that other e-commerce companies are like, what's going on? So I'm very excited
1: to welcome her. Welcome to Fraudology, Vanite. Thanks, Therese. I'm so excited to be here. I think I'm probably more excited than you are. <laughs> I don't know if that's possible, but
0: <laughs> can you... um? I honestly just didn't look it up. Can you remind me what
1: your title is at Wish? I am currently the senior risk manager at Wish, uh, located in the Bay Area currently, and, you know, all things e-commerce. Well, yeah.
0: And so I got to meet you even before you were at Wish, which, like I said, I consider myself very lucky about that. And so how, like, just going back a little bit, because it's always fun for us to kind of know how everybody ends up in this space, because uh, it's not exactly something that career counselors know about or anything like that. How did you end up in online fraud?
1: Yeah, so it's like everyone, right? We just kind of like applied for random jobs and, you know, I kind of got onto it. So I had actually just finished my master's and I was just applying for jobs because I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. Like, what was your master's in? I did international business. Ah, yeah. So I was like, I really don't know what I want to do. So I like applied to a bunch of jobs while I was like finishing up my thesis. And then I went off to Europe for three weeks with my parents to celebrate me graduating. On my way to the airport, I got a phone call like, hey, like we want to like call you in for like a risk analyst position. And I was like, well, I'm leaving, like, you know, like, hoping that like, (laughs) I wasn't gonna get a call back because I'm like, you know, like it just graduated. And they're like, Oh, that's fine. Like we'll accommodate your time. So funny enough, I actually interviewed while I was on vacation in Paris at like midnight and got the job the next day. So since then, I started off as a risk analyst and didn't know this was a thing. Like I didn't know there was people who fought fraud and there was people, you know, there's a whole departments of it. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And so prior to Wish, where did you, where was that first job at? My first job was at Bill.com and that was a payment platform. So I started off completely different. So I've done payment platform. I've worked in like banking for a little bit. And then I've done another e-commerce right before Wish as well.
0: And so since you've had all that background as far as, like, you know, a fintech platform, as well as, you know, banking fraud, and now, you know, two pretty different types of e-commerce companies, right? One of them was kind of a one-sided, which is obviously two-sided marketplace, which has, you know, buyer and seller fraud and all kinds of, you know, fun areas. What would you say has been your favorite? Like, do you feel like you want to stay in e-commerce forever do you want to go back to banking or fintech or you know you're not sure i mean if you were to ever leave wish not that i'm saying you are <laughs> but just you know like what did
1: you like the best um if I were to have to choose, I think it would be between fintech and e-commerce. I think those two have been my absolute favorite. The fraud you see in both of them are completely different. You know, the same and different, I should say. I definitely do enjoy e-commerce a lot. Like, I don't think I could ever see myself like not be in it, but I did enjoy my time in fintech as well. I don't think I'd ever go back to banking. I think I definitely enjoy <laughs> fintech and e-commerce. Why is that? I mean, I think I have an idea.
0: But I know there's a lot of people that, you know, work in banking fraud that listen to this. And funny enough, I actually Told you this before we were recording that I'll be uh, doing a presentation soon to a company that you know helps banks with identifying fraud, and they really want to understand e-commerce and just know if that's you know an area that they could potentially explore sometime. And my presentation is basically on like uh, the ways that e-commerce fraud is different than banking fraud. So I'm really curious to hear what your take is.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think. Because obviously with banking, right, it's more of, like, money movement, right? There's no, like, an item that a fraudster is using to do, like, use stolen credentials, right? Like, Hmm. they're actually moving money. So... I think what I don't like about banking is a lot of it's like still pretty old like nobody really wants to get onto like new technology you know I think it's a lot more slow paced than e-commerce like e-commerce and fintech are so fast paced mm-hmm. and I think that's what I thrive in even though like half the time I want to pull my hair out because there's so much going on but like I thrive in it and I love it and I think like in banking because it's like the same type of stuff you see maybe in different variations yeah you really don't have to you know change your ways I guess you know like you're like like if it works, it works type of thing. You can't really do that in e-commerce or fintech because there's so many different avenues that a foster could come and like exploit you. So I think that's why I don't think I'd ever go back to banking.
0: Those are pretty much right on the money of, you know, the themes of my presentation as far as it's not that I'm saying banking fraud isn't difficult. I think that a lot of time, but they are very, you know, it's, transaction fraud, it's account fraud, it's, you know, account takeover. The tactics are very similar all the time. And I think the bigger challenge, and and this is a challenge for us in e-commerce too, is the company catching up, right? The technology and the company catching up. And that can be really frustrating when you're like, you guys, if we just, you know, upgraded our systems a little bit, we could stop all this really easily. And I think that the adaption in e-commerce and fintech is so crazy. It's just a giant game of whack-a-mole. And it is, I mean, yeah, it's the kind of thing that we're like, why do we like this? But we love it. (laughs) You know, gluttons for punishment where there's always a challenge, right? So those of us who just like, I can sometimes get bored with the same kind of fraud sometimes. Like sometimes it's like, oh, I worked with companies on this type of fraud like 12 years ago. Like I really like the new stuff, but at the same time, like it's all important. And as different companies join the scene at different times, they're all experiencing different things. But yeah, there's so many more tools out there for them, so many different ways to get in. And I think the other thing is that, I mean, there are a lot more, but like just kind of the highlights. Um, and I wonder if you you know, agree with this is in e-commerce and in fintech, the type of fraud you see, as well as you know the good customers you see really vary a lot depending on what the company is and what the company offers, right? Like I mean, if companies digital goods, physical goods, if they have gift cards, if they have this, if they have a good brand where the gift cards or the money or the items that they're stealing have you know good resale rates when you're fencing it, right? Like there's such a difference even between two different shoe companies, depending on their business model and depending on their price point and their brand and all these other things that there's just always more to learn. Whereas if you go from one bank to the next, like they probably have very similar everything because it's the same products, right? It's the same bill pay. It's the same, all those things. And I mean, well, Sal has kind of kicked everyone's butt lately, but like other than that, I mean... So I get it. I not that we're ragging on banking fraud or saying it's easy, but like there are some of us who are just gluttons for punishment where we want to do something different every day.
1: Yeah. And like you said, like with e-commerce and like with fintech, like not every company is global, right? So there's gonna be fraudsters who are gonna be sitting in countries that you don't do business in who want to kind of get these products, right? And that's like a whole different realm. And you don't know if that's gonna happen when you wake up in the morning and open your laptop and see that happening, right? Like versus like banking, you're not really gonna have have to worry about those type of things. So it's because you know, like this is money movement is going to happen everywhere. So I think with e-commerce, it's it's a new game every day. You know, you might think you have it under control. And so they find <laughs> some vulnerability and they're like, haha, we got you, you know, like, <laughs> we weren't quiet. We were just like, messing with you this entire
0: time no, we were just testing your systems the whole time we weren't we never went away right we were looking for the window and we found it and i i mean it's two parts exhilarating and you know one and a half parts frustrating so I and mean, there's but it's something that i think that those of us who kind of grew up in it i think in a way like enjoy it as well it's fast paced and it means you'll miss some stuff, but it's constantly evolving. And I think the most important thing I've seen in working with somebody, you know, and talking with so many awesome people in fraud like you is the people who run fraud programs, who are keeping up with the fraudsters, who are adapting their mindset with the fraudsters and like, okay, they don't do that anymore. They do this, right? Like, they no longer get dumps of lists from data breaches. They're now, you know, using mod 10 algorithms to figure out, you know, the next, you know, the next credit card before it even comes in the mail. Okay. They're now doing ATOs because they know that they don't even have to buy stolen credit cards. They can just, you know, and people use the same password all the time and it's easy and you know,
1: all of that. So. I mean, I've had fraud where I, I don't use this credit card at all. It's, I don't, it's like in a drawer somewhere and fraudsters somehow get it. I'm like, how? It's not even, it's not even on a website. It's not in, any of my accounts like they're just getting so good you know and it's like and like I work in fraud and I'm like so when I have to call the bank and they're like well how, you know did you make sure to change your passwords I was like <laughs> oh I was like I work in fraud you don't need to tell me this <laughs> You're also like I wonder how many people
0: actually like Hey, those, and a lot of times the bank, so like the stuff that they say, like, it doesn't work anymore, right? Like, yeah. you know, did you keep your credit card in a safe location? Did you give it to a waitress at a restaurant? It's like, guys, that, I mean, yes, that can still happen. But it's usually more likely to have malware on the system. And, you know, all of that, than it is to, you know, be the cardholder's fault. But yeah, it just, and I think that the other thing is, is you're not just keeping up with the fraudsters, you're keeping up and changing your mindsets on good customer behavior too. I've talked about this in past episodes, but like so many more consumers use VPNs than ever before because, you know, if you're working from home or that's what they hear on security podcasts or technology podcasts or whatever, and that's what they think is safe. So now if you're using a fraud system that says, oh, they're using a proxy, they must be bad. Well, that was like eight years ago, guys. And now, you know, fraudsters have moved on to much harder detect to detect proxies or they're straight up logging into the infected device and making a purchase as that person on their account without the person ever knowing like that's not you know so now when you're looking at like if you don't adapt to good customers too then you're you know canceling way too many good orders
1: yeah no 100% like and like that's what I mean I've seen a certain fraud attack where it was like they were pretending to be a business like in like a government business and I was like I don't know this is this is weird you know but they were logging in from that location the IPs were coming from there like the whole package looked amazing until you're like, I don't know, would they even be using our platform? Like this is, this you know, this is official, <laughs> right, right? Like, right? I don't know, right? Like, would they actually be doing that? A government but, agency be buying
0: online? I mean, sometimes for gift cards, like, you know, at a coffee shop or something like that, but not necessarily like a, you know, physical goods marketplace.
1: I, yeah, and even in like on the platforms, like I don't think a government agency would be using a payment platform, you know, <laughs> like to be paying better. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah,
0: you have your own like AP system, government AP system
1: yeah and like but that's how good they get like they go to like the exact cities the exact locations now we're like a vpn and a proxy like you said that's old like that's
0: what the good guys are doing so you're canceling that like you're done yeah yeah it's the same thing with i mean AVS and CVV and stuff like that, too, is I'm often telling, you know, clients like we can't trust that anymore because usually the good guys or the bad guys are the ones that have the information. The good guys are the ones that finger it or get it wrong. Like we can't. That was, you know, 10 years ago. Sure, we could rely on that, but we can't now. We need to rely on more outside information. and. But I will say like the caveat that, yes, fraud is getting a lot more complicated, but it really depends on where your company's at, because I've also seen very, very simple fraud because the company, you know, the solution or the internal, you know, product that the team uses for transaction risk monitoring or account risk monitoring isn't picking anything up sophisticated. It's not stopping anything. So therefore, like they'll they'll always go to like the path of least resistance and they'll never try harder than they have to. Right. So they're not going to be messing with, you know, they're not going to be logging into a device because it takes more time and it costs more money for them if they don't have to. Right. So if the system isn't top of the line they don't have to do that they'll meet you where you're at and just go underneath the lowest bar oh 100% and i and I, right over the lowest bar
1: yeah and like and i feel like from like the different companies i've seen that have been in different stages you see that right like i've seen where i can be like hey this just looks kind of like like a phone form where it looks like they're just like you know it's, it's not that complex and then there's like other places i've worked where i'm like oh this is definitely something like a complex like bot attack that we're having right because i'm like oh this is like on a very large scale so it definitely does make a difference of like where you you are with your company and like yeah how hard they need to try like why would a fraudster want to try harder than they need to if they're gonna get what they want with least resistance and easy access right so and I think like that makes a difference when you're like looking into like your providers and you're looking into like your approvals and your chargebacks Is like think of it as like how hard like is it really right like put yourself in like a fraudster like if you wanted to defraud this company, how would you do it you know and start there A hundred percent. And
0: I think, you know, sometimes sometimes we will see people that like, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Like, okay, everything looks like fraud. But then as you start to look at it, it's like, okay, well, what you know, thinking about the context, right? Like for our products, does it make sense that they're shipping to a different location or does it make sense of this or that? Or, you know, it's an expensive item. So maybe they will ship it to their business or a friend that has a doorman so that they can have someone sign for it or it can, you know, be Private or, you know, whatever else. And so, but yeah, you're right. If I, I think that's, well, you said it so perfectly as far as, you know, the, if they don't have to spend more time and more money to defraud your company to get what they want, they won't. And that's why I think that our goal is always to make sure that it costs them too much money and some spend too much time to make a lot of damage, right? Or at least when they find a vulnerability, we patch it up as quickly as we can. We identify that gap. And we, you know, move on because otherwise, you know, then they'll just completely exploit that and tell their friends until it's, you know, done.
1: Yeah. And, and that could grow so fast. I mean, I remember, and this has stuck with me when I first started working in fraud. I remember like I saw this one new account getting created and I saw her creating like, you know, a, like an AP account and then also creating accounts to get paid into. And I'm like, this is weird, you know, and, and me being new and fraud. And I'm like, Oh, let me, you know, let me ask my manager. Like, and they're like, Oh no, like we've seen this before. And I'm like, I don't know. Like this seems weird. Like if I was this person they're like, no, it's, it's, it's fine all right, let it go. Like I'm new. She's paying herself
0: basically, right? From one account to the other. Right.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, and this is like a business platform, like back from the weekend, complete chaos. And I'm like, I knew it. Like, I just wanted to be like, I told you, you know, but (laughs) it's like, like, you know, you can't do that. I'm being like the new person, but it's like, like,
0: well, I mean, honestly, I feel like being a fraud fighter at any level, especially sometimes at manager level, as you know, like sometimes the biggest thing you have to learn is like how to bite your tongue when you really want to say I told you so because it happens so often oh you guys want to you know do this big promotion well I'm a little concerned that this is going to happen and this is going to be exploited and what happens you know I've had more than one client call me the fraud psychic and I'm like no I'm not like not psychic. I've just been doing this so long. And they're actually really predictable. Like when you've been around it so much, when you've like studied it so much, it's just like, I don't know, people that study animals in a different ecosystem, right? Like they're pretty predictable when you know what tools they have and what their current MO is and and what they'll go to next.
1: Yeah. And, and you also like a certain type of year, like the chill location, right? Like a holiday like you're able to tell like is this promotion easily like you said exploitable right like could they just create a bunch of accounts and just keep giving themselves referral money right like is that something that they could do like these are the type of things that you need to like think about right and a lot of times they're just like no this is going to help our approval rate by x amount or whatever but you're like okay but how about the repercussions of it right so <laughs> i think that's always like and that's what fraud teams i feel like you know they they say like we're like the Debbie downers but i'm like we're just be more realistic because we're like, hold on, you see like the <laughs> part of like the rainbows, but then we have to deal with the storm at the end of like, that comes through. Right. And like, you know, and, and I love, I love saying that. And like, you know, when my, when my team gets frustrated and I'm like, that's just something that we have to, you know, it's, it's always going to be rainbows for other teams and that's not always be the case for us.
0: Yeah. We're the ones that have to deal with the storm and all of that and the damage that storms cause. And uh, that reminds me of uh, something else that someone uh, that we both know and fraud has said before. And I think she was telling it to be kind of out of frustration, but it's one of my favorite. I kind of quote her all the time about it because she was like, I'm not cynical. I'm just skeptical. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's true, though. Like, you
0: have to be when you're in fraud. Well, yeah, not just because we see it all, but, like, that's our job, right? It's like you said before, it's our job to think about how can people get through this, right? What can they take advantage of? And then we're not always going to know, right? Because sometimes it's the lowest level of, you know, manipulation, right? Like, you know, the retail community in November, and I talked about this on the podcast before, Um, had, you know, the master manipulators, and they were just doing low level address manipulation to really exploit, I would say, like, 75, 80% of the uh, systems that online merchants use. I mean, There's really only two tools that I know of that were finding it from the jump and that were stopping it before their merchants even knew about it. But it was so easy, right? They were just doing like 123A Main Street. And because they had already shipped something to 123 Main Street, the system didn't match it because, oh, that's a whole new profile. And, you know, we never would have thought of that ahead of time. But then afterwards, I was like, gosh, why didn't I think of that ahead of time? Like that makes so much sense. And that wrecked some companies. I mean, it didn't, there were some. Um, that you know some of you guys got through it pretty quick or were able to identify things and I remember being extra impressed with you during that time just because you were so helpful to so many companies because you you noticed the details that a lot of people don't in uh behavior as well as in like the smallest details and you literally I don't know how you, I've never asked if you have a photographic memory but I'm like I mean I remember being able to remember some of those things but like just the way you rattled it off and we're like oh da, 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 da. and like it was so helpful to the rest of the group because you know, you, a lot of the companies that are bigger, you guys are the targets first. So you see it first and you've got to, you know, figure out how to swat the fly as quickly as possible and get them off your systems.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to, otherwise it hits your approval rate, right? And then not only it hits your approval rate, then you're going to get chargebacks and then you're going to end up in the programs. It's like a never ending snowball, you know, like you, if you just let them keep growing on your system, it's going to hurt you in so many different ways.
0: Well, yeah. And so let's, you know, that's really what we wanted to talk about today a little bit, or what I wanted to kind of pick your brain about was on approval rates, because I'm still kind of recovering from looking at all the data in the fraud survey for the benchmark, the Fraudology Benchmarking Survey, which was sponsored by Forder. I still cannot thank them enough for that. Um and, you know, one of the things, it, so there were two things I was just like, really? And I will say the way we asked this first question is frustrating to me because I really wanted people to stack rank it. But because of the research company we were working with, we couldn't do that. So we just, so we weren't able to ask what was your first and what was your second. But what we asked was what are the two top metrics, you know, that you use to kind of guide you, right? Or, you know, that you're looking at for your, to understand how good your company is doing, how good your team is doing, it was there room for improvement, et cetera. And only 32% of the 700, and, wait, no, sorry, that was, I was getting it backwards. The 457, but still let's insane, it's more than any other surveys had. The 457 merchants, that answered it, only 32% of them had approval rate in their first or their second metric.
1: That is wild because yeah. I feel like that is my North Star constantly, is my <laughs> approval rate. I know. That's what I would expect too, right? Chargeback
0: rate was more than that, but it was only at 45%. And so it's like, what? I mean, it's it's crazy. Now, granted, I mean, I have to also remind myself, like, nobody goes to school for this. Like, you know, we're all figuring it out. But why, like, if somebody were to ask you, why do you manage Why is your approval rate important? Like, I mean, I know that's a very, like, watered down question from me, but like, I'm just curious how you answer it. Because I know this is something, is this a conversation you have with your team all the time too? Because you oversee a team of people and you know, a lot of times manual reviewers or, you know, analysts, they feel like their job is and it is right to protect the company, but they think of protecting the company only as canceling orders, not approving them, too. So, yeah. How are you answering that question? If I are like, well, why does approval rate matter when we're just here to stop fraud?
1: Yeah. And I feel like at least as fraud teams are growing, approval rate is not only about like, I guess fraud teams are not only about stopping the fraud now, it's also about making sure that your approval rates are growing. Because, you know, fraud teams have always been known as the people or the team that always hinders their growth, right? So how I kind of see it and how I've seen it in previous, like places I've worked at too, is like seeing it as like dynamically, right? So it's like, if your approval rate declines, you're most likely getting hit with a fraud attack, right? So where is that? Is there a vulnerability? Do we need to stop it? What's going on? And if we then, we you know, if we're able to stop it, we go back up, then it's kind of like, okay, can we push this approval rate more, right? Like, is there still like a buffer of like 5% where maybe where there's false positives. And like, at my previous job, like that was where I lived. I lived in the false positives. I lived in my chargebacks, because I was like, the only way I'm going to know if I'm not doing good as a fraud department is in that area. So when it comes to approval rates, that's where I think it's like, it's like a watered down question, but there's just so much to it, right? Like your initial approval rate, there's your end to end approval rate. And then at the end, it's like your chargebacks, right? So I think it's not only about stopping the fraud to make sure your approval rate is where it should be, but also saying, hey, can you help push it? Because mm-hmm. we're that one team who can push it because we're able to see where those declines are, where the false positive cancellations are and all that.
0: Well, yeah. And, you know, just one point to add on, you know, part of it, you know, I would say when your chart, you know, when your approval rate goes down and you know that that's due to an attack, usually you have to assume that your approval rate's at a pretty healthy point first. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, when I'm working with companies that uh, are fairly new to e-commerce or to direct a consumer, sometimes they can take advice of the fraud systems that they use that may not be sophisticated because there, it really is, and I really truly believe this is the biggest myth in online fraud ever, that a fraud system is a fraud system and that they're all the same. I know. <laughs> I know you know that. <laughs> probably better than anyone. <laughs> Just from, you know, personal experience over the years. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like I've worked with quite a few and, you know, that's not true.
0: Yeah, and it's the but it's hard, right? Like that's because a lot of SaaS companies there's not massive differences in their performance, right? So if you're looking at an accounting SaaS company or a marketing SaaS company, like, yeah, they're probably similar, right? They might have different you know, specs or different features or whatever, but like the the ones in the market, none of them are going to really fail you. And then you get to fraud. And oh my gosh, the amount of millions of dollars that I have, you know, seen companies lose because the fraud system that they're using is really antiquated. It's not, I'm going to call it legacy. I'm going to call it a dinosaur. And you know, when they only have broad metrics to be able to score things on, the, the beauty of everything's in the margins, right? Like you said, like living in the chargebacks to figure out what's that feedback loop? What did we miss in fraud? But also looking at the orders you canceled. Well, which ones wouldn't have become chargebacks? Those are both Equally important questions. And it's such a better conversation to have with your leadership of, hey, we increased revenue by X rather than we saved it by Y. Because a lot of times when they're looking at that savings, they're like, well, how much of that, like, you know, and I guess, yeah, kind of what I was, I came up with this analogy uh, recently in working with a client where I feel like, you know, when they're the broad rules and they're, or they're just exception reporting or it's just velocity and you can't set, you know, detailed ones or you're not using unsupervised machine learning would actually be, you know, a gold standard pre-auth would also be a gold standard as well. These days, it wasn't before it wasn't needed as much before, but it is now, especially for the bigger companies. And when you're using those broad rules or just those, you know, very like broad strokes, it's like fishing with a really big net and yeah, you're going to catch a lot of things in that net and you might Accidentally catch a fish, like a fraud fish, basically. But you're also getting a lot of garbage and you're getting a lot of other things that you have to deal with now. And customer service has to answer those phone calls and, you know, just all these other things. You, know, you get reviews on, you know, the review sites because I tried to make a purchase and I couldn't or, and I don't know why. And just all those things. It's all that garbage that comes up in the net. Whereas it, the more, the closer you can get to either fishing with a smaller net or fishing with a fishing pole, the more. Accurate you're going to be. And the more accurate you are, the higher your approvals, the lower your chargebacks.
1: Yeah. And when we think about approval rates, we just think of it as like one line item approval rates. But you need to break it down. Like you said, like there's going to be pre auth rules. Then if you're at, if your vendor sitting at pre auth, there's those declines, right? Um, issuer declines, right? If you have something in post auth, you're going to have those rules, those declines. And you have your manual review declines. And then you're going to have your chargebacks. And then you're going to have your approval rate. I think by breaking it down line by line of what your approval rate consists of is going to help you increase your approval rate. Also see where the vulnerabilities are, right? Like where is the fraud getting in? Is it getting in at pre-auth? Is it getting in at post-auth? Is it getting into your manual review team, right? Like that's one of my biggest feedback lately has just been like, if it's the manual review team that's getting it through, like, okay, do we need to retrain you? What do we need to do? right? Like there's obviously, it, there's biased, everyone sees fraud in a different spectrum, right? So giving that feedback. So I think when it comes to approval, rate, right, it's not just one line item, it is multiple layers that you kind of need to like slice and dice to see where is where is everything, like you said, like, when you take out that net, and there's all that garbage, where does it fall in that funnel?
0: 110%. And that's something um, I don't know, there was a on one of the episodes I did in the last couple of months, on false positives, I kind of had a rant about how it seems like a lot of fraud leaders, and I understand why we're tired. So like, I get that. But a lot of fraud, especially after COVID, um, (laughs) as her eyes get really big, and she nods really (laughs) strongly, because I know it kicked everyone in retails, but especially, uh, and marketplaces in general. Um, But I think that uh, I'm starting to see this trend that I don't like where people are like well as long as we keep our chargebacks under x and as long as we keep our approvals over y then we're fine or well our vendor tells us that this is a good approval rate and I'm having a hard time saying with a straight face to you to you especially um because think that's one of the things that we are big kindred spirits on is like, there's no acceptable level of loss. Like, let's keep improving. Let's keep going. Let's see how much money we can bring into our company because that's, you know, that's our stock. That's our, you know, revenue. That's our salary. That's our bonuses. That's our, you know, promotions. That's just our lifeline. And then, and that's also the autonomy that you get as a fraud manager, if you're able to increase those or, you know, in risk. And then, you know, let's keep, knocking down those chargebacks, right? Let's identify them. Let's figure out what's the difference between fraud and not fraud because, or what's the different buckets of those, because you're going to solve them in two different ways. If you aren't doing those two things, like then you're just kind of there, right? And that's something that you and I both get frustrated with and unfortunately it feels like some vendors are are happy with just like we're and I think that's part of why we've gotten comfortable because the way that contracts are written out sometimes
1: right and vendors live in the margins right like they are also a company that is there to make money so that's where they live they live in the margins that's where they make the money off of that's where they make
0: their their money right
1: exactly so it's like you at the end of the day like it's a partnership when you have vendors but that doesn't mean you give them full trust, right? Like you do need to check what they're doing, if they're rule based, or if they're machine learning based, or if they're both at the end of the day, like you still need to check like, hey, are you updating your, uh, your models? Is your model just my model? Or are you throwing all your merchants into one model? And there could be a ticketing merchant in there. And there's an e-commerce and there's a FinTech in there. And you know, and that's gonna, that's gonna cause your approval rate to, to dip. Oh, if yeah. An attack happening in ticketing, but you're like in fintech, right?
0: Yeah. And your orders are going to look completely different, like we said, right? But But yet you're all in the same model, which that is out there, (laughs) right? And that's what I've been kind of sharing with some of the newer merchants lately is here's how I can tell you that different fraud products are performing at different ways because they're all identifying fraud in different ways. If they were all identifying fraud in the same way, then sure, you could probably say they were similar or they all have a similar outcome. But no, some of them are saying if this and this and that, some of them are just saying they're relying on on information that's no longer or that's not at all reliable. Right. Like I know, I have no sh- I'm pretty sure I've shared this on the podcast before, but several months ago I had a client that was really um, set on using AVS as a strong data point. And there's actually a lot of merchants that do that still. And They were really confused because there, they when they looked up a bin, it was prepaid, even though they could get chargebacks. So you know, some prepaids you can, some you can't. But like, they were getting chargebacks on it, and they were like, "I don't understand." It said AVS bill ship. Why? Like, well, why would there be an address match on a prepaid? Like, have you ever bought a prepaid at the gas station or a grocery store for a friend? Like, they're not putting that in. And then I double checked that with the processor that processes for prepaids because I'm very lucky. to know some great people. And he said that it was industry standard for all prepaids to just answer back why, because they want those cards to go through. And I said, Well, what if you get a charge back and somebody responds, Well, it was ABSY? He's like, Well, we'll deal with it, but we'll probably still decline it. And, you know, so that's one reason why you can't rely on it. It's one data point. It should never be something that's decided upon has any weight anymore, right? That's another thing, the things we could rely on before we can't rely on anymore.
1: And I don't think you should ever have only one data point determine a solid decline or approval. Agreed. Like, yes, that should not be your say all and all to an order, right? I mean, we know we're, we're, we're good shoppers. Like, you know, if I mm-hmm. order something online, like, I'm not going to charge it back, but I might use somebody else's credit card, or I might not be where I'm at. So my IP is showing somewhere else. You know, there could be so many other things. I might go from buying my normal fifty dollars purchase, and now I'm buying for the holidays or a birthday, and it's six hundred dollars. And just because it's out of the velocity, like right, you can't just be like a decline. But now you've just lost me as a customer because you had like one factor to determine if this was a good or bad order you know like never just there should be different layers to it when you if you're especially if you're going to be rule-based right like i'm not a big fan of rule-based unless you know it's like certain geos or it's like a certain bin that you know that like hey this bin is 100 always fraud we've done our analysis
0: sure right
1: we can't do it fine but like if you're gonna do rule-based then make sure that there's some manual review that comes into it and then you also do false positives checks on that, right? Like, I think that's the hardest part when it comes to approval rates is you need to check the false positives. Like that is where you are going to increase your approval rate. And like you had mentioned earlier, if you're able to go to the execs and say, hey, we've boosted your approval rate by X amount and say you need to get you know, more budget for another vendor or whatever it is. Another layer of information. Yeah. They're more likely to give it to you because they're like, yeah, you you know, you, you're always stopping the fraud, but now you're stopping the fraud, but you're also now Helping us with our approval rate, they're more willing to do it, right? Well, yeah, because there's you've added
0: more budget too, right? Like I've added that back to the bottom line, like back to the PL, right? Like whether it's I added that because I increased approvals, increased offs at the bank, you know, by working with issuers and, and doing, you know, the different that's a whole other conversation that um I plan to have a payments person on soon to talk about a little bit more than I think I've sprinkled on over the years. But you know, so you've got your your different layers of approvals, right? And you're increasing those and then you're decreasing chargebacks. And then on top of that, you're also hopefully having a you know, representment strategy that is robust and that isn't responding to every chargeback, but responding to the ones you can possibly win with the right information in the right order. And when you do that, then you're also returning. So like we're increasing the and, and these can be huge numbers. Like I, I once added up how much I had saved companies just in the first year that I worked with them. Like, you know, when I do a project to pay, I know how much money I saved you the first year. I don't know how much perpetuity because we usually, you know, lose contact. It was a lot, <laughs> It was like nine figures. I was like, oh my God. "Why am I not charging a percentage?" Well, I do know because nobody wants to do it. Usually, I have a reputation of, "You get me in there, I'm going to help you a lot." But, but we all do, right? Those of us who care about those things. And I think that's something that I also want to get clear is it came through loud and clear in the survey that the fraud leaders who are educating their, you know, business partners, the fraud leaders that are talking to their leadership and explaining hey, we increased approval rate by doing this. That increased our, you know, our top line revenue. That increased our profits by X. And then, you know, all the way down and then you can follow it all the way to chargebacks and say, okay, overall, this is how much we got to keep. This is how much, you know, we just, and not just that, but like, We've added more customers and that's their lifetime value, not just the one order. And being able to talk to the business like that, that those are the leaders, the leaders who do those things, even though it can feel like an uphill battle and impossible. They're the ones that actually said on the report that they feel or in the survey that they feel appreciated and they feel valued
1: you have to tell a story right i mean every other like team is not going to know what it's like to fight fraud or what it's like to fight fraud or how expensive it is to fight fraud right like a lot of other teams don't know like if you accidentally let through a, you know a $1000 order and then it comes back as a chargeback we're not only losing that $1000 there's chargeback fees that go on top of it there's you know all the vendor the products. fees that go- yeah, the product. There's so much
0: more that. Or goes for into a two sided marketplace, you've probably already paid the vet, the person who sold the item, right? And so, depending on your contract with them, you may not be pulling that back. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. So even at my previous place, I spent a lot of time educating other departments. Mm-hmm. Because so whenever there was a new fraud trend, I would put something in there. Even if it didn't pertain to us, just letting them know like, hey, this is out there. This is how much it costs, breaking down costs for them. And like that makes a huge difference, right? Because we can't like sit here and expect them to understand what we're going through if we're not going to explain to them the difficulties it is to fight the fraud and make sure... That the metrics that they want are so hard to achieve, right? So,
0: <laughs> otherwise, they, they think that Frog comes in blinking red lights and they don't understand why we missed some and why aren't the green orders, like all the good orders, the good customers, why aren't they getting passed? Like, legitimately, if they don't know better, that's usually what they think, right? Like you're just an air traffic controller and you're just putting the, you know, the red orders in one box and the green orders in another. It's like, oh, no, 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 there's a science and, and you should have lots of layers. And that was one other thing I wanted to add was, you know, when you're looking at approval rates, you know, by geolocation, by different geographies, by different areas, there can be so many different factors there. But when do you you know, decide, hey, we need more information, we need more layers of data, or we need another vendor, or we need like what levers to pull. What are some of the what's some of the advice you have there?
1: So I think it when it comes to geos, it's it's tricky, right? Cause there's obviously certain geos that are just more riskier. They're more fraud prone, right? So you're gonna need you're gonna have to tighten the risk strategy is a lot tighter there than versus in other parts of the world, right? So I think the biggest thing is don't put a blanket when it comes to all your rules or like your models, your vendor, your approval rate, because your approval rate per geo is going to vary depending on the type of fraud. And you also like EU, for instance, like they have a lot more like compliant stuff that we have to go based off of, right? Because they're more stricter than say, we are here in like Northern America. Oh, yeah. So that's something to take into consideration when you look at approval rates. And when it comes to like your vendors, like that's something I think that is also is making sure that your chargeback rate isn't just like a blanket chargeback rate, right? Make sure that you break down that chargeback rate by your GEO, right? Because you could say, hey, for, you know, if you're a global company, like don't go over 95 bips, right? But then to do that, they're going to start decreasing your approval rates in the GEOs where there's less fraud because they're compensating for the GEOs where there's more fraud. And there's where that you're going to lose a lot of customers because there's a false positive right there. Right. So understanding where your fraud really lives, I think is huge. And again, it's going back to those layers and layers of approval rate of knowing like, where these declines are coming from in these geos, right? There's certain geos where you're gonna get the approval rate like declines right off of at the issuers. And then there's certain geos where the issuers let everything through and they don't get caught until they get to your vendor, right? Or like you're not your manual review team. Or if they don't get caught on those two layers, you're screwed on chargebacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you're gonna have beautiful emails coming in saying, hey, you're part of the chargeback program, right? So <laughs>
0: Well, if you think those emails are beautiful, I'll, I'm kidding. <laughs> I used to call it being on the naughty list.
1: <laughs> it is. It's like, you know, it's like by the time you get through like the end of the month, you're like, oh, another month with no, not those like emails in all caps that tells you that, mm-hmm. that, that you're in the program, right? You're like, oh, save myself, right? But, <laughs> but yeah, I think when it comes to geos, you really need to understand. And each geo has different like holidays. And I think that's like one mm always said, like, even when I worked in other places is you need to understand that there's different holidays. So if you're yes. like, Oh, my God, there's a spike in i don't know august it must be fraud in a certain geo but is there a holiday is there you know is there something going on do they is that like their black friday look at
0: that right like, you know, like four or five years ago i mean it was before covid right but i think it was 2018 or 2017 when a lot of companies reached out to me and they're like holy cow like our sales from you know asia especially in china like skyrocketed. they went up like 10 times on november 11th and it's like oh well, that's Singles Day in China. It's like a new holiday. Like it's almost, it's it's not like Prime Day, but it kind of is, right? We're like, it's the reverse of Valentine's Day where they're saying, buy yourself a gift because one, 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 right? So um, that's... <laughs> You know that was something that was really a surprise at first because a lot of companies in North America like didn't they were new to that market. That's a fairly new made up holiday. Uh, Good job Alibaba. And you know then they didn't know what to do. It was like oh my gosh it's fraud. And then now it's like you know those of you that have geolocations and you know geographies and you know websites in China know okay November 11th we have Veterans Day in the U.S. and we have Singles Day in China and it's going to be really really busy. I think there was a retail call last year or the year after on November 11th. And I was like, should we just cancel this now? <laughs> so you guys are going to be a little busy.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. And I think like as companies have grown, right? Like before maybe a lot of companies weren't so global, right? Or they were just part of like North America and maybe EU and they weren't as global as companies are going now. Like no one really thought of that. But as you're kind of expanding to Latam, Asia, like different parts of Europe, like these are people to start thinking about, right? Like you can't just say like, you know, if there's, I remember when I was like studying abroad in Barcelona, like I remember like Thanksgiving is a thing here. It's not a thing yeah. anywhere oh, else, right? <laughs> And so in November, they're like, oh, like, you must be bummed you're not home. And I'm like, why? They're like, Thanksgiving. And I'm like, oh, that's really nice of you guys to know that Thanksgiving happens. And it's a huge thing, like, back in, like, you know, in the U.S. I was
0: was in Paris the week before Thanksgiving, uh, actually training a manual review team for North America in 2019. And they thought that Thanksgiving was the week before when it really was because, you know... It's not always the same date, right? So it was like the date of it last year was this, you know, and they're like, they knew the same thing. Like, oh, you're missing Thanksgiving. And I'm like, no, it's next week also. I mean, other than getting to see my family, it's not really, I mean, and eating, like, it's not holiday holiday I celebrate, but still, like, you know, if I'm going to get paid to go to Paris and train someone, I'll do it on Thanksgiving. (laughs) Like, Like, I could eat there too, don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm vegetarian, so I don't care about turkey, like, it's fine. But, um, yeah, so it is funny how, like, yeah, some, it's like geographies know ours, but we don't always know theirs, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that's like the biggest things as I've kind of like gone from different like companies. It's like you know some some places will will pick up on that and they know versus like others are just so used to like oh well it's like you know it's September what's the big deal and I'm like well holidays like you know they right. happen in different places at different times you know and and you also have to think of like different parts of just the U.S. when we think of like Christmas mm-hmm. right there's oh, a lot no. of places that maybe start doing their Christmas shopping early because they need to fit their budget right like that's something that you need to look at when it comes to your customer base as well is like stop don't start declining their stuff because you see a certain spike like see is this something that's normal over the years right like and Wait, I think or how that,
0: often how common is it to ship to a failing member so you don't have to pay for shipping exactly
1: exactly like, or just taxes. I mean, where I live, like taxes are so high. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm going to ship it somewhere else because I get to save like 50 well, yeah, You have a million cousins. So you can just be like, hey, I probably have a cousin yeah. in a state
0: that doesn't have tax. I'll just
1: Exactly. I'm it. like, I'll see you in a couple months. Like just hold off onto it. You know, like that's something that you have to think about. Yeah, if it's know? a big purchase. Sure.
0: Phytology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean... Other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you, benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard, and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other people business models. For some clients, they use sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. context is so important and i think in addition to the holidays the other thing that i found is so important with international you know e-commerce is understanding the payment systems in each area because we sometimes I mean, and this is most of your North America, but I've seen this. I mean, I've, I've worked with companies that are based in Europe or based in other parts of Asia who think that they can just copy and paste their strategy for fraud and payments that they use in the U.S. or that they use in other markets in the U.S. So it goes both ways. And unfortunately, usually within the first year, they realize, oh, holy crap. No, we can't (laughs) because we had 3D secure over there and customers are used to it and the banks like it. And, you know, so it's just normal. So we don't really need a robust, you know, payment fraud screening system after that. Um, It's not the same here. So I think it's important to understand the payment system, right? Like, is it a country that just has, you know, two systems? Because a lot of them aren't cards, right? Or they're, you know, SEPA debit in, you know, uh, Germany or like, how does that work? and what's the context and how are you going to see that spike in that area or how are you going to, you know, what's normal and then what's not normal and how do you get ahead of whatever losses there might be? Um, And even if you have a provider that's paying you back for chargebacks, you're still on the hook for the number of fraud claims. You're still on the hook for the number of chargebacks and that can be a painful lesson for some companies. That's why, to your point earlier, and I'm so glad you said it because I feel like I've been the only one who said it sometimes is, you know solution providers yeah you're their customer but at the end of the day like they're caring about their bottom line and sometimes if it's chargeback guaranteed they're going to cancel more orders because they can't afford to approve more and lose the risk or they're going to be steering you towards a, a model or a contract or some type that that works out for their business. So you need to be an advocate for your business and you need to understand where those pitfalls are. And that's why networking with peers is so important, right? And that's why I love fostering it so much is a lot less vendors get away with a, with a lot when we all talk to each other. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, like just the tiny things in contracts that you think you're like, oh, I got them like this, you know, this, this vendor is going to give me x amount of approval rate and then you you know and then you don't get it after you sign you it there's, like, a loophole. Oh, there's a loophole like if you go down to page 20 you know cost five here's everything that we're not including that's why you need to read it as much as we're not lawyers that's something that you have to do. Like you, I feel like as a fraud fighter, you have to be your own lawyer. You have to be your own finance person. You have to be everything because no one else is going to understand like these nitty gritty details.
0: Right, yeah, that, it's so true. I mean, it's really important to have a legal department and have them, you know, approve it. But they're usually looking at things like, you know, the arbitration or like the legal stuff, right? The this state, you know, what state it's going to be in and all that stuff. They, they don't understand basis points They don't understand, you know, approvals. They don't understand, you know, the loopholes. They don't understand like the this and the that or what they really will pay you back on and what they won't. And all those little things, I always insisted on reading our contracts and I know you do too. And we've both found some very interesting things in them before. So interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's, you know, even if it's a great vendor and overall they have, you know, a good product, it's just the name of the game, right? I mean, especially if they've taken venture capital funds and investment funds, they have bosses too. And so they're not there for goodwill, right? They're not volunteering to stop your fraud. So you need to be holding them accountable. And um, there have been some merchants who have made decisions. Well, we don't, you know, we'll just outsource and we don't need someone, you know, guarding the the hen house, so to speak. And I'm like, well, then you're essentially allowing the fox to guard the hen house because they're going to make the decision what's best for their company. And it's not that I'm saying they're a bad vendor. I mean, so. Some of them that do that are worse than others, but it's also just understanding business and understanding like no one's going to advocate just like no one manages your career but yourself like no one's going to advocate for your company other than yourself. And if you speak this language and you understand you know what that means and what this means like then you have to be the one that advocates and even if that means be annoying well squeaky wheel gets the grease sometimes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you, no one knows your data better than you, and I think that's what well, it your is.
0: Customers too, right?
1: Yeah, and like as a fraud fighter, like you see everything, right? You. You see the approval rate, you see the declines, you see the chargebacks, you see the refunds, you see it all. And you as kind of the person who's going to be like the owner of these vendors, you have to look into that, right? You don't want to end up getting stuck into a contract where you thought it was going to help your approval rate, but because they have all these stipulations in there, you know, they're not going to approve it like that's at the end of the day, it's going to hurt your bottom line. Mm. And that's something that you need to think about when you like with vendors, I think, especially like your business who's trying to run they're also a business that's trying to keep the lights on and make right there. Like you said, they have people that are holding them accountable. So you have to hold each other accountable, just like how they come knocking on your door. If you change their traffic, you have to go knocking on their door when you know your approval rate or your chargeback rate goes up or down, right? Like that's something you just have to do it's not, if it's being annoying, it's being annoying, but I'd rather be annoying than know that like, you know, that I'm keeping them on their toes <laughs> and then like, well,
0: think- yeah, that they're not getting away. Right. You are so absolutely right about that. And I think the other thing is just, you know, on the topic of vendors, you know, just because they tell you something is impossible. That doesn't mean that it's true. I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, people say that they're on an exclusive contract or that they're on a three-year contract or, you know, that they're on these things. And it's like, eh that can be changed. I mean, just because they said that it has to be three years doesn't mean it does, right? Like maybe they, you know, set you on a contract at a certain volume for three years. Okay. Well, if you grow, then you can put all your new volume somewhere else or, and then when you're putting your new volume somewhere else, you're like, oh wow, this is outperforming it. Okay. Well now, You're not holding up to this end of the contract so we can make it null and void. Like there are things that can be done because, again, you are you're not paid by your vendor, right? You're paid by your company to get the best for them and, you know, have the most number of customers who are paying with their own payment method get through seamlessly as many times as they want to shop, right? You're just supposed to catch
1: the one or two or 3%. It shouldn't be, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 or anything else. That's my thing is like, I always say like, put yourself in the shoes of the customer. If this was you trying to place an order, wouldn't you get frustrated? And that's always kind of the question that I've always said to like the team as well. They're like, should we like refund and block? A hundred percent. Like, would you want the company that you shopped at know that it was fraud and they just kind of let it sit there. No, you'd want them to proactively like save you, save your money. So you don't have to go through the hassle of, you know, especially if it's on a debit card or something else where you, you don't get the money back in
0: your account until the chargeback has been closed out. Well, that can be like 45 days. Mm-hmm. I had to open up my, yeah, my 19 year old credit card not too long ago. Cause her debit card number got stolen and she was like, wait, I had $700. Like they just took it and they aren't giving it back till the end. I'm like, uh-huh okay well now it's time to yeah I mean it was something it was on my list anyway but just yeah
1: yeah no I, th- I think that's like huge when it comes to vendors it's like test them against each other you know and <laughs> you don't really kind of scare them that like you might leave like they're gonna stay complicit like they're not gonna want to outform or move your approval rate or they might move it for like the time frame that you're watching and when they know that you're not watching that approval rate or chargeback rate anymore, they're going to kind of bring it back down. So they can again, make that margin, right? So that's something that you need to look at is like, keep them on your toes. And if
0: they're pulling that stuff, like, is that a partner that you want?
1: Exactly. And I think that that's huge. And it doesn't matter what type of vendor you have, right? I Like I've worked with vendors that are rule, just 100% rule based. I've worked with vendors that are 100% like
0: machine learning or just verification vendors, right? Like there's or IDV or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like they're all a business. Yeah. you You really need to go go in and just keep them on your toes and keep have pilots going, you know, even if it's like, yes, it's a pain, because you need to, you know, there's engineering work that goes into it. And you know, then you need to get everyone else on board and all that stuff. But if it's going to help your approval rate, and it's going to bring in more customers, then yeah, do it. I mean, there's chances are you've
0: already risen your goodwill with leadership and and budget to say, hey, well, I did this much, you know, with just this, look, guess what I can do with, you know, something else, right? Or, hey, our vendor was performing well, and now they aren't. And I mean, I can say from my 10,000 foot view of the industry that every two to three years, there's like this mass exodus of, you know, companies that are doing Business wrong. And I'm seeing it right now in the tea leaves. It's not that those companies know it's coming, but you know, I'm a meteorologist of sorts and know, you know, who's going to move or who's leaving before that notice has been given. And there are always themes, always, always for like the last, oh gosh, 12 years since I've been supporting the industry or so, where it's like, oh wow, yep, everybody's getting up and and it's expensive to leave, right? It's not fun. You'd rather not leave, ship up or ship out, right? (laughs) Or like, shape up or ship out, maybe that's what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like, it's a partnership. And I think, like, I think like, you can't emphasize partnership like, any harder is that yes, you would want your merchants to be honest with you about what they're doing. But then as a vendor, I think you should do the same. And if your merchants are constantly finding new fraud, and they're having to deal with kind of fraudsters shifting, you as a vendor should also shift and make your models better or your platform better or something, you know, because it shouldn't be being
0: caught in manual review if your system isn't catching it, because like, at least what you say in all your
1: sales and marketing, is that your system catches everything. Exactly, exactly. So I think, you know, everyone has horror stories of what different vendors that they've worked with. But the best thing is have a good relationship or as good enough you can and just watch the numbers stay within like the lines and break down the approval rate I can't say that enough I think when I first started doing that at my previous job I was like oh my god it was like my mind was blown I was like oh my god there's so much that we could do and then I'm out there like training the CS agents and be like no you can't Mm -hmm. let this go through because this is what it leads to yeah and all this and I think that's what changes and I feel like that's what makes the other departments also trust you because then they're like okay this person knows what they're talking about you know they're not going around just canceling orders for the sake Right. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 You can absolutely
0: explain it and say this is why, but because they also see you working just as hard to approve the orders that should be approved. And that is what wins goodwill. And uh, overall, it is a balancing act. And it's also like, you know, we're never done picking up rocks and seeing what's underneath. Right. Like we're just as you were talking about, you know, in your previous company and I you know remember from then like just all there was always so many opportunities and stuff and it's it's exhilarating but it's also exhausting but then I think the best part is when you look back two years later or even one year later and go oh my gosh we've come a long way like I was just texting with uh, one of the merchants that we know in our group just the other day and they were well first they sent me like a rant about a vendor uh and how they Uh, were, they very much disrespected them, like a vendor that was selling to them, not one that they use, but just, you know, that would not leave them alone. And that was really not respecting boundaries. And, you know, I'm used to getting those kind of rants and like, you know, there's no purpose. I don't need to respond, but I'm like, you know, I'm like, well, how did, you know, How did that go at your company if, you know, other people are being contacted? And they said, we finally have like the trust of our leadership that our leadership just told them to go kick sand. And I'm like, I remember when you didn't. I remember when your leadership was telling you what to do and you were trying to have a little bit of a voice and just like have a little bit. And I said, that was like two or three years ago. Look at how far you've come. And it was just kind of a good moment because it can be really depressing to think about how much further we have to go, especially when we're always picking up rocks. But it's like, okay, but we moved it like, you know, 150 basis points last year, like moving it 30 more isn't going to be that big of a deal.
1: Yeah. I mean, how I see like fraud teams is kind of. I don't know if you watch, have watched Suits, but it's like when they have like, you know, like their IT team like in the basement and it's like, you know, that's kind of like the fraud team, right? It's like you don't want to deal with them, keep them hidden, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, but until you start kind of going up the elevator. Showing your like- value yeah and showing people who you really are Like you're just not an email or, <laughs> or just a person saying hey like why are you doing this right like makes a huge difference and it goes a, a super long way and I think that's as like trust and safety and fraud teams and everything like grow you need to be cross-functional like if there's no way that you could just work as just a fraud team like you need no, to when you're siloed it. yeah
0: <laughs> you'll get cut off like your oxygen and- will get cut off eventually or everyone will just be making decisions for you and you have to deal with what's left and we all started there at some point. No thank you.
1: Yeah. Like no, you don't want initiatives to get, you know, pushed on and then you know afterwards that certain promotions happen or there's something happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're just like hold on why wasn't I like notified that this was going to happen so because look- they forgot you were in the basement
0: because you never came up for air right
1: <laughs> exactly so it's like <laughs> you know you like you might have to annoy them for the first couple of times they didn't talk to you but then after that they're always going to be like yes we need to include the you know thing, yes.
0: right like yeah once you educate them on what you do and what you need to know then honestly you often train frontline too right I mean sometimes they'll send you stuff you're like it's fine but like sometimes you'll get things ahead of time that you wouldn't have gotten until later. So, you know, yeah. And it's not, I mean, you know, we talk about it like it's a dream world because it is compared to, you know, where you can start in a fraud team and where a fraud team can start, where, you know, nobody trusts them and they think they just, you know, cancel things to cancel things and they don't know what they're talking about. And they're not consistent and all of that, but it really is. I mean, once you, once you've been converted to looking at it this way and being proactively, you don't want to go back. Uh, you want to be able to include, and I think, That's, you know, what I see a lot of fraud leaders doing when they change jobs, too, is spending a lot of time just soaking up information about the company, but also kind of planting some seeds with leadership and saying, hey, here's my style. And this is what I'm, you know, this is what my goal is. And this is what my philosophy is. I have to do that in consulting right away, right? Like I have that opposite where oftentimes executives are bringing me in and I'm like, and they're like, well, are you going to just tell, you know, the, the team that's doing it now that they aren't doing a good job? I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I want to be there to support them. I've been them before. But at the end of the day, like, you guys pay my paycheck just like the good guys pay everyone's paycheck at your on your website. So, you know, I'm going to try to make it best for the company. That's my goal. And hopefully, you know, everybody gets on board because it's a really fun cause to have.
1: Yeah, I, I think getting everyone I think as I've kind of grown within risk too is that's kind of what I've seen right mm-hmm. like As much as people have said, oh, like everyone hates dealing with fraud and risk. I don't think that's true because as much as I've started including other teams and I remember at my previous job, I used to have one meeting every week where I would bring everyone in from every department, kept them as optional. They came and went as they go. But it was that 30 minutes where I kept them updated of approval rate, chargeback rate. This is what's happening. These are the trends, everyone. And then if they're like, oh, do you need help? And just like, do you need help? I could help you with this. Yeah, great. Yes, that's awesome, right? Like, I think from there is when I realized where I'm like, okay, like, you can't just be, again, just by yourself in a cardboard box, just like trying to do this yourself. You need to have everyone there with you, right? And I think that's like one of the biggest things. And it could be scary, right? Depending on how large your organization is, like, you might not have that, you know, opportunity of like knocking on Eng or, you know, DS or whatever's door and saying, hey, want to be friends, right? but You know, you could be that annoying person once or twice and then, you know, they'll they'll welcome you in eventually.
0: Well, and once you set a track record too, right? Yeah. Like once you earn that credibility, then like you said, it's, you know, easy. Well, I shouldn't be surprised that we, you know, very quickly talked for an hour and I uh always enjoy our conversations, whether they're, I'm just glad this one got to be on air for the first time, but I always learn so much from you. And it's been really fun for me in a selfish way to get to, know, you know, to watch you in your career the last several years and, you know, see you really make a really big difference and do some really big things. And uh, I also know that you are passionate about leading your team and training them and, they know that they're lucky to have you. So just like, I'm lucky to have you on the prodology. As per usual, I will put your uh, a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes if anyone wants to contact you. I mean, I always say underneath that, no solicitations, please. This is not <laughs> there. I mean... They probably won't be answered. So like, don't, don't waste your time because as I'm about to rant on LinkedIn this next week, nowhere in any job description for any fraud manager or fraud leader have I ever seen must reply to emails from salespeople of products that they don't want.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: actually a PSA on on behalf of the merchant I just mentioned a little bit ago. <laughs> I'll show you this with the screenshot with you later. <laughs> But thank you again for coming. And I hope that you come back soon because I know we can talk about lots of subjects. And if anyone has any specific questions for you, it'd be fun for them to send them my way and we'll hop on and do a Q&A.
1: Yeah, 100%. I love this. I'm so excited that I was able to, to join you. And I hope that we have a lot more of these. Me
0: too. Well, thank you again so much. And I will talk
1: to you soon. All right. Bye.